You are not your own. For you have been purchased at a price, St. Paul says at the end of our second reading. At first glance, those words are not the most flattering. Maybe even seem a little demeaning. But of course, St. Paul is using a metaphor. Speak about our redemption in Christ. Even still, it's a little weird. He wants to be thought of as purchased like a commodity. Really, this, this one line from our second reading shows us just how masterful a teacher St. Paul is because he knows his audience well. This second reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Corinth was, in one sense, a thriving town. It was economically very prosperous. That prosperity didn't extend uh, very equally. There were a few wealthy merchants, but most of the population fell into one of two categories. Either they were essentially a laborer um, and had been a slave at one time or another, they were a freed slave, or they were still in slavery. And so the church that Paul founds in Corinth most of its members are either slaves or freed slaves. They've had the experience of being bought and sold and quote-unquote owned as if they were property. There's more, there's more to this, though. There was a, a practice in... Uh, Corinth was in Greece. It was a practice in ancient Greece uh, for freeing a slave that was tied to a ritual at one of the pagan temples don't need to get into all the details, but basically a price would be paid, would be deposited in the treasury of the temple, and this slave would be freed. A price was paid, they were given freedom. So we can imagine to a congregation that is comprised mostly of slaves or freed slaves, this, these words of Paul, they would have a much greater impact, right? It would be much more meaningful the allusion to the liberating ransom of Christ. Jesus paid the price. You know, in 1 Peter, there's a connection drawn between the price that Jesus paid and Jesus is the Lamb of God that we heard about in our Gospel. First, in 1 Peter, we read that the price that was paid was not silver, it was not gold, it was the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's something we say multiple times. We sing or recite at Mass, every, every single Mass. You know, we sing, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, right before we receive communion. Right after that, the priest takes the now broken, consecrated host and holds it above his chalice and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. This is precisely how John the Baptist identifies Jesus in our Gospel. And he's standing with his disciples and Jesus draws near and he doesn't say what we might think would be a more obvious way to point out Jesus. Behold the Messiah we've been waiting for. Long prophesied. Savior of Israel's coming. God incarnate, those would maybe be choices 
that seem more obvious. No, instead he says, behold the Lamb of God. This clicks with some of his followers because two of them, upon hearing this, they go and follow Jesus and they stay with him. What does it mean to say Jesus is the Lamb of God? We've got to go back to the Old Testament to a time when God delivered another group of people from slavery. Go back to the book of Exodus. On the night that God delivered Israel from slavery to Egypt, He commanded they observe a feast, Passover, one that would be observed annually down through the ages. At this first Passover, each family was to procure a one-year-old male lamb without blemish, offer this lamb in sacrifice, and then they would take the blood of the lamb and they would put it on the doorpost and the lintel. This would preserve them from the angel of death who was going throughout Egypt, striking down the firstborn in the land. The angel of death would pass over the homes marked by the, by the blood of the Passover lamb. Then they were to consume the lamb whole and entire. And Israel was to repeat this feast annually. This event, Passover, and in particular the Paschal Lamb, is a foreshadowing. It's a pointing forward to Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God. We can see this in several ways. And maybe the, the first thing to point out isn't necessarily about the Lamb at all. Israel's slavery, their physical bondage in Egypt, points to the spiritual slavery, the spiritual bondage of fallen humanity. Since the sin of our first parents, this world has been subject to suffering, to death, to evil. We can speak of the slavery to sin that fallen humanity uh, has dealt with ever since this tragic choice of our first parents to disobey and rebel. And just as God came to deliver His people from physical slavery, so He comes to do with us the spiritual slavery. And at the heart of our liberation is this Paschal Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The, lamb of, the, the Passover Lamb was offered in sacrifice. Christ on Calvary offers the perfect sacrifice to God the Father. He offers something that God the Father loves infinitely more than sin displeases Him, and thus He superabundantly atones for our sins. He more than pays the price. This is why it doesn't matter what we may have done. No sin is stronger than God's mercy. No number of sins is beyond His power to forgive. Christ has more than paid the price of our redemption. But here's the thing. This redemption must be applied to us individually. The precious blood of the Lamb of God must be applied to the doorposts and lintel of our life, of our heart and soul. And this is ordinarily done in the sacraments. You know, just as the blood of the Paschal Lamb saved Israel from the angel of death, from physical death, so we are saved from eternal death by being marked at baptism with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And of course, the Passover ritual wasn't complete, completed just by this act of sacrifice. 
The lamb was consumed. The family had to consume the Paschal lamb. And so just as the Israelites consumed the meat of the Paschal lamb, so do we consume the true lamb of God in the Eucharist, where Jesus Christ is present, really, truly, and substantially, body, blood, soul, and divinity, under the appearance of bread and wine. When we receive the Eucharist devoutly, the blood of the Lamb of God is applied once again to the doorposts of our life, nourishing this supernatural life of grace, fortifying it, protecting us from, uh, from the reality of sin. But you know, even after baptism, we still have free will. We still can choose to sin. Jesus, later in the Gospel of John, will say, Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever sins, and everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He's saying that when we choose to sin gravely, we are choosing to return to, to this spiritual slavery. But even when we find ourselves in such situations, we only need to repent, to go to the sacrament of reconciliation, to confess our sins, receive his mercy. When we do this, the Lamb of God breaks those chains of spiritual slavery for us once again. How should we respond to this tremendous gift, to the tremendous goodness of God who lays down his life for us in such a beautiful way? You know, in our gospel, John the Baptist points out, behold the Lamb of God. And what we're told next is the disciples heard this and they followed him. Maybe that's a little, something of a template for us. We must hear this reality. We must be willing to contemplate it and ponder it. You know, the idea that Jesus is the Lamb of God is not exactly a hard concept to get. There's always a temptation to think, yeah, I know this, and move on. But we can never exhaust the depths of divine mysteries. And, you know, we ought to be men and women of prayer who do ponder and reflect on all the mysteries of our faith, but especially the Paschal mystery that's at the very heart of it, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This ought to be the subject of our prayer, because it's in prayer that we come to know Jesus on a personal level, as those disciples did, because they heard this and acted, followed him, and they came to stay with him. And it's prayer that disposes us to receive the sacraments more fruitfully, and the sacraments that we receive frequently, confession and the Eucharist, the more we pray, the more we become men and women of prayer, the more fruitfully we receive these sacraments, the more the precious blood of the Lamb of God frees us from sin and, and the wiles of the enemy. And then, of course, I think in general, this should invoke in us a spirit of profound thanksgiving. You know, the Eucharist, that term Eucharist means thanksgiving. As we continue with Mass and prepare to receive Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, let us do so with this profound gratitude and thanksgiving for His goodness, for His love for us, for all that He suffered for us. And let us pray that we might love Him in return.